All right, I'm Ryan Miller. I'm Brad Carlson. And welcome back to another installment of the Gopher Coffee Shop Podcast. Today online, we have with us one of our fellow educators, Dave Nikolai. Hello. And so uh, we haven't done a podcast for a while, Brad, and decided that we needed to, to kind of get something out there. And uh, we decided that maybe today what we would do is, is just kind of uh, cover some of the crop condition reports and, uh, and talk about some of the issues that have popped up this season, but then also mention some of the programmatic opportunities that that should be coming up here and and how things might look a little different this summer and and so uh with that let's uh let's get a little started here yeah and and it's been a little bit more work uh dealing with things this way i guess uh uh, I would like to throw out a little uh, tip if there's anybody else out there doing podcasts that this was a, a pro tip that came to us uh, in extension uh, by way of Minnesota Public Radio, and that is uh, when they do interviews with us, they want us to record an audio track on our computers using Audacity, and so that way we're not recording over phone lines. Uh, we're actually recording live uh, as we speak it on a machine, and it, so we get a high-quality input. I think most folks uh, during the last uh, several months that that, uh, there's been various stages of stay at home have experienced uh, some sort of uh, media or things on the radio or TV uh, recorded uh, over that that media that have been really choppy and we were kind of joking about uh, the sound going in and out and and other things uh, when you do that beforehand, but uh, that's a that's a, a nice little tip. You can record yourself on your computer and then throw everything together and make it sound live. Yeah, that's uh, so. Even though you sound choppy to me occasionally, you're gonna sound just fine when we uh, cut the co- cast together. So, good tip. Yeah, and and uh, Lord knows that uh, a lot of folks in rural areas can sympathize with this. Uh, Rural internet uh, has its inconsistencies. As uh, this morning, I spent another hour uh, on the phone with my internet provider. Uh, uh, it seems like we've got an issue every time it rains. I keep trying to uh, prompt them in the fact that water gets into the line somewhere uh, every time it rains, but they keep telling me they don't think that's the case. So I don't know. And another challenge you guys uh, are dealing with uh, rurally, it, it's your bandwidth is capped. So. If you're at home, your kids are at home, your spouse is at home, you're all trying to, to, to use the same internet pipe, so to speak, it's going to get short on supply. Right. And, and the other thing that's kind of funny or ironic is I actually have a fiber optic cable that goes through the road ditch by my house, uh, which, of course, uh, were we to do something and not, uh, not get our utilities marked and then cut the thing would be a liability probably... Uh, of uh, six figures or so, uh, uh, but uh, we don't get to tap into it. So the the uh, f- the fiber optic cables uh, only go from station to station, and the station where the thing outputs is five miles away. So we're still, despite the fact that uh, I could uh, sit at my house and throw rocks all day long at the spot where the fiber optic cable runs. Uh, I'm running through a copper phone line that was probably installed uh, 80 or 90 years ago, uh, and that that's where my internet's going too. Yeah. Well, aside from some of the internet uh, issues that we've all been uh, experiencing here, uh, I'd have to say this year, as far as a weather crop year, has been at least in southeastern Minnesota has been pretty uneventful. I think. Uh, 
you know, we had some pretty decent conditions for planting. And then, uh, at least in the southeastern part of the state, we've had adequate moisture, uh, you know, a little excessive the past couple of days here. We had the big, uh, uh, the remnants of Cristobal, the tropical storm that rolled through. And, you know, now there are some flooding issues in certain certain parts. I mean, uh, Lanesboro, I saw some images from there with, uh, they had in excess, I believe, of four inches of rain. Uh, and across the region, we've had anywhere from an inch and a half to that four or five is kind of what I'm what I've been hearing. So, uh, but I, you know, we haven't been excessive all spring, and so I think that it'll come and go. And I don't anticipate any great difficulty, except for where you did have these real localized flooding things. Happen. Well, and don't forget the Bermuda Triangle there, from uh, Wyndham to uh, Wyndham to 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 Worthington to. Sherburner, so uh, I think that area has still continued to be uh, quite flooded. But you know, the others, if anything, we've actually been a little short on uh, precipitation uh, from time to time. Uh, we do have a field study out this year looking at the pre-plant soil nitrate test, uh, which this wasn't a very good year to do that study with respect to as wet as it was last year and the last several years residual nitrates picked up in that pre-plant test were almost zero but beyond that uh, where we've got that study site is in a uh, an alpha sol which is a soil that that originated under hardwood forest not our one of our prairie soils and uh, that and actually it's on Leicester which is our state soil and that area was a little dry this year and we actually saw some uneven emergence of the corn. Uh, we see it's about two growth stages apart in some places and that's right on the edge of where that starts causing a problem productivity wise. Uh, doesn't look so bad from the road but when you walk out into it you think oh this is really kind of an uneven uh, looking stand. The color is fine, the nitrogen is not an issue. Uh, it just uh, came out of the ground uh, a little uneven and now we've had some parts of the state that have actually stayed fairly dry and I was looking this morning at the long-range weather forecast for National Service, National Weather Service and they are still calling for drier for normal than normal out through the next month and so um, we we might see some some moisture issues um, and I, I know there's actually some other parts of the state that are more more far, farther along with that. Well, I think that's true, Brad. I know talking to some of our coworkers, uh, particularly in uh, northeastern Minnesota and northern Minnesota, uh, we, we do a lot of these Zoom calls internally, so we have a chance to get some feedback. In any event, uh, it's getting very serious. Uh, a lot of the pastures, there's a lot of livestock and grazing and so forth, so that could impact their uh, quantity of forage, their quality of forage, definitely. And even of the row crops, you talk about in that up to uh, Pine County, into the Carlton County area, and across northern Minnesota. So uh, those are definitely uh, issues uh, I've heard of even, you know, where we've had some good moisture out in that Wilmer area, you know, down below, you know, there, there could be indications where, you know, they welcome frequent rains throughout here to get us through the season. Yeah, I, I got a call uh, 
actually just this morning uh, from a crop consultant regarding top dress uh, nitrogen. Um, when the by the time the podcast uh, drops, uh, we're probably going to be to the point where most of that top dress side dress nitrogen has been put on. But um, the issue was urea was laid out on the surface, and then the big rain that was supposed to happen stayed east, and that urea didn't get rained on. And so the question was. Uh, how much nitrogen are we losing? Well, we don't, unfortunately, we really don't have good models for that as far as, you know, when urea lays on the surface, you know, saying, well, you lost 20% or 40% or whatever. We, we, we really don't have a good way of, of knowing that uh, because it's, it's highly variable. But the one point is uh, there really is no precip in the forecast for the next week. And my suggestion was uh, you probably better try and find a cultivator somewhere and a tractor with RTK and get out there and work that urea into the ground or you're probably going to lose it. Uh, you know, it's either, it's either that or plan on putting it back on again in a week or so, either finding some kind of a machine to coulter inject it uh, or band it or something of that sort because uh, we can't have it laying on the surface like that for for 10, 11 days, particularly when a few days ago it was 95 degrees with 30 mile an hour winds. That really puts a lot of stress on the whole system. You know, Brad, recently there was a crop e-news that uh, I think came out and I believe uh, Dan Kaiser, maybe Fabian, where other people were involved in authoring, they talked about um, ATS and other types of additives to uh, affect the volatility. I don't know if you want to comment on, on that. Is, is there still time to do that at this point? Well, we, we uh, as far as the volatility is concerned, uh, really the, the bottom line is just more or less did you incorporate it or didn't you incorporate it. And, and so as far as the, uh, if you laid it on the surface is concerned, um, if you're not going to get any rain for 10 days or two weeks, it really doesn't matter at that point. Uh, we will end up turning it into uh, ammonia and it'll it'll blow away. That's a natural process uh, through the urease enzyme that's just naturally found in the soils. There's, there's really not much you're going to do about that. Uh, urease inhibitors are chemicals that block that process, but they wear off. And the speed at which they wear off is also a little bit of a... I shouldn't say an unknown, but it's variable depending on conditions and so forth. And so, you know, we normally say that that'll protect urea for 10 days. Um, but, you know, we're getting kind of that point. And so, you know, again, uh, incorporation is really probably the only answer unless you've got a, a center pivot and you can flip the switch and run some water on top of it. Uh, that's probably about your only two options there. Boy, in cultivation, uh, you know, some of this corn getting to be V7 stage, that's that's getting to be a tricky uh, tricky enterprise to try to get out there and run a cultivator through it. Well, particularly if you have to keep the knives set so that they're way in the middle of the row, you might only be incorporating half of it. You know, if it's laying on the surface and it's over the row, you, you, you know, unless you're going to throw the soil uh, a long ways, uh, which you could if you drive fast enough, I suppose, but you know, it's, it's still not a sure thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, my experience, once you get past V4, V5, it's a, that's a tricky, <laughs> tricky process. You know, it's a certain, uh, certainly a skill set that, uh, many of us, uh, don't have. So, well, and, and, uh, you know, find a, find a 12 row cultivator. So that doesn't take you, you know, copious amounts of time too. Well, well, I think well. the other thing is we're entering what we call that 
starting to get very rapid growth on a lot of this corn, and we're talking next week's temperatures into the 80s. So um, we, if you've had the adequate moisture, have enough in, in that rooting profile, uh, you're really going to grow fast, I and mean, you're going to be on, on the leaf, leaf stages, leaf collars, and that's the thing to start counting here for a lot of these growers, whether you're uh, going to be doing it you know, from a fertility standpoint, even for crop protection products, is how you're staging this corn crop out there and, and counting those leaf collars. And that very first leaf you know, will tend to slough off after, but I think you can still find it out there, but counting those collars, some, whatever you're doing in terms of that and trying to uh, come up with an idea that you're staging it correctly is one of the keys and it matches up to that label. But you know, count those collars, not just uh, what's up to the top so that you're in sync, so to speak. Yeah, good point, Dave. Uh, so uh, anything else that you guys have been seeing? You know, the, I do just remember now, the what was it, two weeks ago now or a week, a little over a week? Uh, there was that hailstorm that rolled through. I think it was kind of a, a line from like Mankato to to Albert Lee area where the, the hail developed. I know I talked to a couple of farmers where uh, they had some pretty significantly impacted fields. I've not gotten a chance to look at them because of uh, things, but uh, uh, I did talk to one of the farmers just yesterday, and he was saying he still had some corn plants tied up and was, was waiting for them to grow out, and he also thought that some of his soybean populations were going to be uh, reduced because of uh, it was significant hail and the fact that it had such a long duration in, in certain fields. So. Yeah, I, I that's actually not very far away from me. That's kind of the, went through the middle of Waseca County, but uh, uh, give you an indication though where that, I think, so we're talking, I live five miles north of Janesville and this went about five miles south of Janesville, so it's about 10 miles away. I think they got an inch of rain and I don't think it even wet the sidewalk at my place. So. Um, that was a very isolated storm. I think it. <clears throat> I think a lot of the damage ran from roughly Mapleton, Minnesota Lake area, kind of towards New Richland. I think it kind of petered out by the time it was getting towards Ellendale, Geneva, that area. If uh, okay. I'm correct. Okay. But but yeah, and I, I I I'll be honest. I didn't drive down there and look at it. No, that's the unfortunate thing. I didn't get a chance to to take a peek at these. Did see some photos in. It looked pretty significant. But it was it was early enough in the season. We had a really, you know, pretty decent in terms of a planting date. So. You know, we'll keep our fingers crossed things grow out of that. Yeah, particularly corn, you know, if it's under that V, uh, uh, V5 and or V6, you know, your growing point is just you know, below or just at the growing uh, surface. And now it becomes more critical, though, is if we, if we go from this point on and the rapid growth we have, if we have any kind of hail damage or significant, obviously we're going to affect that growing point, we'd have a loss. A lot of those beans, though, that's that's probably where the bigger concern. Because I saw some of those photos of baseball-sized hail and situations with that. And you're, if you're knocking them down below the cotyledons, you're, there's no regrowth at all. So uh, oftentimes I'll say, you know, wait, you know, four or five or days or maybe a week, and then evaluate it. I know a lot of the hail adjusters are, typically are that way. So give it some time, and uh, you know, we still have some avenues, but. Even the, um, I think, Ryan, your viewpoint about the, the window to replant adequately in soybeans is rapidly closing here. We're to the middle of June. Well, I, and, and I have uh, somebody that I'm fairly close to that uh, works in the horticulture group at the Southern Research and Outreach Center, and uh, he was telling me they're going to start harvesting peas here within the next few days. So oh, wow. we're moving right along there. 
Yep, yep. Uh, so other pest management issues, I don't know. I didn't see really any major issues with weeds other than uh, one of the plots we manage, uh, bulk corn going into to some trial work next year. Um, tried some no-till corn and uh, was on a learning curve there with uh, weed management because it had a history of some no-till. Uh, we had a, we had some perennial weeds come on real uh, real fast, and uh, so other than that, uh, you know, and that's my own thing to deal with, but that's a abnormal one. So, anything else you guys have been witnessing? Well, I, I think we've uh, on the in terms of weed control, the pre-emergence you know situations, unless you were short some spot or place on on rainfall, really worked well. I th I think if you take the state as a whole, though, you know, it's northwestern Minnesota as a story in and by itself. You know, uh, they were very difficult even to get in, harvesting corn here this spring from last year. So uh, that's a whole different scenario, and they've had a tough time uh, putting with that in there. And so I think things will maybe work out, but, you know, we control. But other than that, I think in, if you take central and, and southern Minnesota, um, even the sugar beets and, and corn, everything is growing well. The pre's uh, worked very well, but it doesn't mean that there aren't instances where they need to go out and look because... One thing that did happen this year was a really early onset of uh, common water hemp. And uh, that's the kind of concern is if you have a field that has water hemp in it uh, or history of it, uh, don't ignore it. Uh, because if we had that early onset, you know, those pre-emergence products typically only last so long. You may have to come back and, and do the layering uh, of the second application and or, or post-emergence. but. Uh, you can't factory farm this kind of a situation. You really have to look at these individual fields, especially because we had water hemp uh, for a number of reasons come in extremely early this year, and it'll be season long. Yeah, that, I know. I do remember uh, hearing that from Jared in particular, and Tom were, were talking about uh, some of the early emerging water hemp this year. Uh, some of the fields further to the east that we've had some experience with, we didn't really see abnormally early water hemp emergence so it's kind of coming more on a normal uh, time frame we had snow cover through uh, part of april and some cooler temperatures there that kind of probably kept us more on a normal track than than what those guys had out in uh, in western minnesota and whatnot but definitely uh, water hemp's one that's going to keep coming and uh, and uh, until we have a canopy it'll it'll keep emerging so and if you've got lots of seed bank you know look out well, I suppose you want to talk a little bit about um, controlling measures and so forth. This uh, past week, we've had some concerns over um, a couple of products and dicamba based on extend beans and so forth. What are the other, what are the options? We put out some crappie news uh, articles listing some options. But a lot of that, depending upon now with the rulings from the state of Minnesota and the EPA uh, using existing stocks, but growers have to be mindful, obviously, of going back and looking at these fields from the standpoint of when did they plant? And if those labels still in effect, you know, there's a 45-day period for the cutoff. And that goes without saying that there's also the June 20th in Minnesota. So whether it's June 20th or more than likely it's a 45-day, um, we're getting close to that here in in the middle of May as we, as we go forward. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the future holds. Yeah, and regardless of the herbicide system that you're using in soybeans, the uh, the thing to me uh, to mention here, I guess, is uh, even with some of the layering, the chloracetamides, the uh, group 15 products that we use as a as a layering approach post emergence, uh, those products vary in their cutoff dates too. So uh, uh, you've got different, uh, you know, you've got anywhere from 
V3 cutoffs all the way out to R2 cutoffs for the various products that you can pick and choose in, in that realm. And so it's something to be aware of and uh, make sure you get out there and look at the soybeans before you, uh, you apply them. Well, for a lot of these uh, crop protection products, just thinking about the weed height by itself, in, in addition to the crop uh, requirements and the labeling, you're getting that four, five, six inch weed height, and then a lot of things become more difficult to control, whether you're using a Liberty herbicide or other products. Uh, there's some practicality here in terms of size as well. That's right. Brad, anything you uh, want to mention here? Well, I guess I, I'd just say, uh, and I think a thing that's been on a lot of people's minds, uh, just relative to the whole pandemic, uh, folks staying at home, uh, uh, we are all uh, been working remotely from home and so forth, is just a little bit about what are things uh, looking like into the foreseeable future as far as some of the stuff that we're involved with. And I, I guess, uh, you know, unfortunately, we can't give a lot of definitive answers to that. Uh, obviously, at this point, uh, we've got nothing scheduled through the end of uh, June, uh, which is only a few weeks away. And then after that, um, we're going to have to just sort of wait and see as far as uh, some of the, the summer field days that have happened in the past and so forth, what that might look like. I guess uh, from my standpoint, we were planning on doing some nitrogen smart meetings uh, up north this summer, and uh, those, of course, won't be uh, happening. Um, we maybe will come back uh, here in the fall if that's an opportunity, and maybe not. I guess a reminder that we do have the option to do nitrogen smart as an online training at uh, z.umn.edu slash nitrogen smart. And so uh, that is something that you possibly could uh, uh, do if you're looking for some educational opportunities uh, here this summer. Uh, you know, another thing, uh, again, is we're just going to have to wait and see how this all develops, but we are uh, scheduled to at least uh, put together our advanced nitrogen smart manure management session as an online course. Normally what we would do with that is hold a couple of in-person meetings and videotape and audio record those to be used as part of the online training. Uh, since that opportunity is probably not going to afford itself this summer, we probably are going to do some sort of an online training. So I guess just a reminder to, to uh, folks if that's of interest to them, uh, kind of watch for that. I know there's been some proposed changes in the nitrogen application rules and so forth. Uh, we will undoubtedly uh, cover that. Uh, it's still not uh, particularly clear to me anyway exactly what all the nuance is of some of those things. So I'm going to kind of stay away from that at the moment. Uh, but that's something also. But I think most farmers recognize the majority of the meetings and programs that we do happen after the first of the year and we're still way too far away from that uh, at this point to know what that's going to look like. Yeah and as far as some of the field the uh, classical field tour field day sort of situations uh, I do know that visiting with uh, Jeff Vetch at uh, Southern Research and Outreach Center they're going to have some kind of uh, new format where you're not going to be able to you know get on the wagon and tour the plots or come into the research and outreach center and see the presentations, but they're going to use a, an online format to, to kind of uh, do some longer format uh, education and then have a shorter uh, session where they do some Q&A and things. So looking at trying to be a little innovative and in, in how things are, are, are going to be uh, taking place this summer. And, you know, I know Dave, well, another big thing, big announcement is the Ag Professional Field School. Uh, 
that uh, that got called off as far as the in-person, but there's some effort there to to develop some materials uh, that could be utilized online. Right. We're going to be looking at developing maybe some modules that could be used perhaps in other times of the year and other types of programming in, you know, in highlight. We have critical things, stage of growth, uh, our herbicide mode of action training, and so doing what we can on that. Uh, so we'll be developing that. In addition, there are some other webinars from some of our coworkers uh, uh, that are out there on maybe on specialty oil seed crops. Uh, there will be other things in manure. I think a lot of these things will probably end up be listed um, if you navigate through the extension homepage or website, uh, list the online courses, and you go to the crops page. Um, and then stay tuned with that and other uh, in the crop e-news. Uh, throughout the the year, I would imagine they will also be uh, promoted and talked about. And we've been, I don't know if I want to say stepping up uh, our multimedia presence because we've actually been pretty aggressive with that, such as this podcast here for the last couple years. But the fact that we have transitioned to a lot of these kinds of delivery methods, uh, uh, podcasts and YouTube videos and online courses and so forth does lend itself fairly well to the current situation. So, you know, it's not like we're all sitting around on our hands just waiting for this to end so we can go back to what we were doing. A lot of what we were doing are things we can just, we've been continuing to do and will continue to do um, which will provide uh, folks who are interested with educational resources. All right. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Not offhand, I guess. As always, uh, we're able to be reached. Uh, um, you know, working from home, uh, my cell phone number is a, is a university published number. If anybody wants to get a hold of me, and we're, uh, of course, our email addresses all work too. So, uh, you know, if, if you've got questions or you want to contact us, um, we're, we're still out there doing our job. Yep. All right. Well, and with that, everybody, I want to thank you for listening today. Uh, this has been another installment of the Gopher Coffee Shop podcast. Uh, thanks again. <laughs>